Well, this morning we're going to pick up in chapter 13, and like any good uh, gospel writer, they usually ended their letters uh, with some warnings and some final greetings and some challenges. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to start reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and read verses 5 through 10. Follow along with me as I read. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray that God may, that, that you may not do, we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may have seemed to have failed, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration, it's what we pray for. Verse 10, for these reasons, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me to build up and not for tearing down. And so there in those six verses, there are two challenges that we want to walk out, uh, walk away from this entire uh, series with these two challenges. And the first one is this. Paul is saying to them right off the bat, worry about yourself. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube videos, and you can go home and Google this, it's absolutely great, is this little three-year-old, and she's in the back seat of her car, and she's struggling uh, to get her car seat unbuckled. Now, those five-point five harnesses are designed so that a three-year-old can't do that, and her dad is having a lot of fun with it. He's turned around from the driver's seat, and he's recording her. And, and finally, after she's struggling and she can't get it, he says, sweetie, can I help you? And, and with all the... Uh, uh, muster of a, of a three-year-old princess. She turns to him and she points her little finger and she says, worry about yourself, dad. Worry about yourself. That's Paul here. Throughout this entire letter, we've seen this common theme that Paul has been defending himself against these false accusations over and over and over. These jealous leaders have been trying to discredit him. And he spent an incredible amount of real estate, more than he uh, wished to have spent writing about why he is a true apostle of Jesus. And now it's time for him to flip the script. Now it's time for him to put the ball back in their court. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are part of the faith. Test yourselves, or do do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is even in you? Unless, of course, you fail To meet the test. What Paul's saying is he's saying, listen, you have uh, been so worried about me, it's time to worry about yourself. In the original language, those pronouns have a huge emphasis. You worry about yourself. He basically goes on to say that as their spiritual father, he says, listen, if, if I'm a fake apostle, then your faith is fake as well. And he's not very pleased by the fact that he's had to prove himself over and over and over uh, that he's the real deal. And then to top it all off, he looks around, he observes their lack of faith, he observes how they have fallen for this false teaching, he observes their hostility, and he says, I'm at the point where I don't even think some of you, and he's talking to the church, I don't think that some of you are even in the faith. Your biggest problem, he says, is not me. You need to worry about yourself. We live in a relatively conservative community, 
And while this statistic is changing, uh, it would not be unusual, at least for people my age, uh, regardless of their church background, to say that, yes, in fact, I am a Christian. They would declare themselves as a Christian. Now, even within the church, it's not lost on me in evangelical circles to join a church. Typically, you have a form that you fill out that you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say, yes, I have done that. Yes, I have been baptized. And you become a church member. And maybe that's how it was for the church at Corinth too, but Paul's looking around and and he's not buying it. In fact, he loves them too much to just move on. He's not willing to sign off without challenging them to take a hard look at their own lives to determine if, in fact, they're truly following Jesus. You know, maybe this is something that some of us need to hear this morning. Maybe your motto in life is fake it till you make it. And in some ways, that's a great motto. It's kind of a motto of my life, like lead with confidence until your competency catches up, right? But when it comes to eternity, that's not how it works. If you fake it, you will not make it. And so despite this room being filled mostly with professing Christians today, I want to step up to Paul's challenge. I want to challenge you to step up uh, to his challenge to do a little self-examination This isn't meant to discourage you. This isn't meant for you to walk out of here with your head held low. This is meant for you to be able to discern whether or not you are in Christ and also to find some of those areas of your lives that maybe you need to repent of this morning. It's quite possible that some of us have grown a little cold in our relationship with Jesus. There's a phrase around here that we use all the time, and it's this. It's God's word is a uh, is not a curriculum to be mastered. It is a mirror to be gazed into. And so, little object lesson, I brought a mirror with me this morning. This is the mirror that I use to cut my hair every Saturday night. I don't know if you know this, but I'm my own barber. And uh, I use this little mirror. And, and this is the gospel, and so we're supposed to look into this mirror. But here's what I've discovered. It's often funner, and I know that's not a word, but it's often funner to kind of turn that mirror around a little bit and to look for somebody else that we think needs to hear this. And so this morning, this self-assessment is for you. And so just to make sure that we're all on the same page, I want you to repeat these words after me this morning. Say, today, it's all about me. Today, it's all about me. Okay, well, let's see uh, what we can do and uh, let's see what trouble we can stir up this morning. Self-examining questions, what are some of them? And so as pastors, we've decided this week to step a little bit out of this passage to begin with uh, to look at some of these questions. The first question I want you to ask yourself when it comes to sin, are you waging war or are you making peace? When it comes to sin, are you waging war or are you making peace? You may have heard somebody say in your lifetime, we're all sinners, it's just the way it is. And the first half of that statement is in fact true. We are all sinners. We are totally depraved. Uh, We have all fallen short of God's standard for holiness. But the second part of that statement does not have to be true. An authentic Christian should never say that's just the way it is. That's denying the power of the cross. And so are you someone that's quick to cry legalism when someone starts talking seriously about sin? Are you quick to accuse somebody of being judgmental when God is really using them to expose some of the sin in your own life? None of us should ever say, what's the big deal? Everybody does it. Apostle Paul wrote another letter, this time to the uh, Christians in Rome. He had hoped to come visit them, and so he he sent ahead a letter. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 13, we've studied this verse before. Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul's talking about waging war. He's talking about putting something to death. Many years ago, I worked with someone who professed Christ, but was really uh, probably the most critical person I've ever met. And they used to say, oh, don't mind me. It's just the way I am. You see, this person had made peace with their sin. And so this morning, I want you to think about your besetting sin for just a minute. You say, well, what's a besetting sin? We're introduced to that thought in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's the weight that so easily entangles us is the language of the author there. It's the sin pattern that I am most likely to fall into. It's unique to me. Okay, so whatever your uh, attractions are, whatever the, the idols of your life are, that's your besetting sin. It's the place that you most easily gravitate to outside of the gospel. Anger is a common besetting sin. Um, uh, jealousy is a common besetting sin. Uh, insecurity, people-pleasing, materialism, lust. You get the picture. These are all common besetting sins. And so here's the self-examining question to ask yourself this morning. Are you actively putting these deeds to death? Or are you waging war against them? Are you making peace with these things? It's a question that we have to ask ourselves uh, to really be able to discern, are we in the faith? Here's the second question. If you're taking notes, I want you to ask yourself, do you say that you have no sin? Do you say that you have no sin? I think, think sometimes this is worse than making peace with our sin. Listen to 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So what is the truth? The truth is the hope of the gospel. The gospel is the story of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so if we say we have no sin, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not in us. For some of us this morning, it's not that we've made peace with uh, the sin in our life by saying it's just the way I am. It's that we don't even recognize the sin that's actually there. We've become so cold in, in our hearts to sin. And so maybe you're not saying the words, I have no sin, but you become totally insensitive to the areas of your life that you know are out of conformity of the gospel. And so a good question to ask yourself, when was the last time that you, that you confessed or, or, excuse me, when was the last time you wept over your sin? When was the last time that you were broken by the reality of your brokenness, of, of your, your willingness, of your ability, of your, um, your inclination to sin? When was the last time that that broke your heart? You know what the opposite of claiming that you have no sin is? It's a life that's marked by confession, Many of you have memorized the very next verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so in these two verses, we have uh, the tale of two cities, the tale of two people. We have one person whose life is marked by uh, saying they have no sin. You have another person whose life is marked by confession. And, and so we have to understand uh, that the theme of the gospel is, is repentance and so if that is the theme, which we've studied over and over and seen that it is, then is my life filled with confession? Remember, we say this all the time, confession is agreeing with God about my sin. Repentance is turning and walking in a different direction. 
And so the question to ask ourselves is, when was the last time that I actually confessed my sin? It's a great question to ask. Here's the third question to ask ourselves. Do you look like Jesus to the people around you? Do you look like Jesus to the people around you? Staying in uh, 1 John, listen to the apostle's words. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Whoever says that he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. There's a beautiful word picture of this. When I was little uh, and it would snow, I would go outside and try to help my dad shovel, right? And you can picture this, every, uh, every little guy has tried to do this when his dad's walking in the snow, here comes a little guy behind him trying to take these big giant steps so that my feet match his footprints, right? Uh, I, I was trying to be like my daddy. I wasn't doing a very good job at it, but at least I was trying. In the same way, that's the Christian, uh, that's the cry of the gospel in the Christian's lives, that our greatest desire is to follow in our Father's footsteps. And so do people see you walking in the footsteps of Jesus? Or do you laugh at the same things that your unsaved friends laughed at? Do you use the same crude language? Do you use the same coarse joking? Do you use the same critical words? Do those words flow out of your heart? It's a good question to ask ourselves do I look like Jesus to the people around me? Now listen, this is some heavy stuff, so if you're listening, smack your neighbor and make sure they're awake. Say, wake up. Everybody take a deep breath because we're going to come up for air for just a second and we're going to dive back down in the water in just a moment. But it's appropriate to ask ourselves these questions every now and then. It's appropriate to do this type of self-assessment. We could go on and on, but for the sake of time, let's move on to, uh, to Paul's next challenge and then we'll come back to some more questions in just a few moments, in verses 9 and 10, we see the challenge from Paul to seek perfection. Seek perfection. Some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you mean, you mean to tell me that, that now perfection's the goal? You're kidding, right? Let me read you verse 9. I want to read it from the old KJV, the old King James Version. Anybody in here uh, find the words of the old King James to be comfort food? Did you grow up in the King James Version? Yeah, like memorizing uh, the gospel, memorizing scripture in Awana. I still go back to uh, the days of the old King's English. Let me read you verse 9 from the KJV. Paul writes, For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. There's that paradox again of strength and weakness. And this also we wish, he says, even your perfection. For we are glad when we are weak and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. The word wish there in the King James literally means to pray. And so what Paul's saying is I'm, I'm praying for your perfection. Now when I hear the word perfection, uh, I think to myself of absolute sinless perfection. And when I think of that, honestly, I get a little discouraged. I don't know about you. Uh, but I get discouraged by that. But here's what we should do when we encounter a word in the gospel that doesn't make sense. We don't understand how that's what the gospel is calling us to. When God surely knows that that's impossible in my life, then let's dig a little deeper and figure out what that word means. This is the beauty of the internet, okay? This is one of the good things that Google gives us. Uh, 40 or 50 years ago when my dad was in seminary, uh, he had to take three years of Greek and three years of Hebrew to learn the ancient languages. Now, you can Google it. 
and it comes up, it, it, it's, it's right there for you. And if you Google the word perfection as it's used here in verse 9, it, it's the word katartesis, katartesis. And what that means, literally, it's the bringing of something to completion. So the word picture here is the mending of a net. That would be appropriate use of that word. It's also the uh, mending of a broken bone. And so a a bone that's been broken and twisted, it's the uh, untwisting of that. It's the setting it back to the way that it should have been. That's exactly what it means here. And so uh, Paul would have been talking about the restoration. That was the word that now it's translate we use in the modern day English. He's praying for their restoration towards a specific purpose. And in this case, it was their spiritual maturity. And then look at verse 10 with me. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up, and I don't want to have to tear down. If you're a parent this morning, you totally relate to this. It's no fun. You know the feeling. Uh, It's not talking about tearing down, of breaking their spirit, uh, of breaking their will, uh, but it's talking about the behavior of reaching down uh, to the root of that behavior and tearing it out. That's no fun as a parent. If you, and if you find it to be fun, uh, then you need help. You need to uh, get some counseling because it shouldn't be fun. But what is fun is when you can build on those positive behaviors, when there's progress. You never thought it was going to come. And now you can build on that progress. That's what Paul's saying that he hopes to do here. But go back and focus on the first part of verse 10. Paul says, For this reason I write these things... You can almost hear him saying, listen, I'm writing these things so that you can seek perfection in your lives, so that you can become spiritually mature. And so what are these things that Paul is referring to? What are these things that he has written? These things are the evidences of the gospel, the lessons that he's taught throughout this entire book, the lessons that he's included in this entire uh, letter to the church at Corinth. And so we want to wrap up our time in this series uh, in this theme of examining ourselves by turning to some of the lessons that we've learned along the way now, starting back on January 29th. I think this is the 16th message for 16 weeks now. What are some of the lessons that Paul has tried to teach us? And so we can just continue these on into the list of self-examining questions. And so question number four is this, am I experiencing and sharing the comfort of Christ in affliction? We learned that back in chapter 1. You may remember the title to our very first message was God's purpose for our pain. Let me read out of chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul's saying, listen, the test of a genuineness of our faith is whether or not we are experiencing the comfort of Christ in our pain. And more than that, are we sharing that comfort that we find in Christ? Are we sharing it with others? You may uh, remember that we said during that series that God often uses our greatest place of personal pain as a platform for ministry. So the Christian is comforted by the Father of mercies while the person who's not in Christ wallows in their misery. But the Christian that has been comforted also uses that pain and the comfort they have found in that 
to share it with others. And so the question to ask ourselves this morning as a test of the genuineness of our faith, do we make it a habit of comforting others? Here's the next question to ask ourselves. Are the permanent promises of God more important to me than momentary afflictions? Are are, are the uh, permanent promises of God more important to me than the momentary afflictions? Listen to chapter 4, verses 16, 17, and 18. Paul said, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, meaning they come and go, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Listen, one of the evidences of the gospel in our lives is that the decaying of our bodies focuses our minds, it points our minds towards the hope of heaven because we understand the paradox that death brings life. That's true of the Christ follower. Now, if I'm honest this morning, I'm not particularly looking forward to the journey to get there, okay? The journey itself is a little scary to me. Um, I'm not looking forward to those end days together. But the the time of our death, uh, the approaching uh, as evidenced through our decaying bodies should focus our minds on the eternal. At the opportunity a few years back at one of our other campuses, there was a gentleman there had been a member for a long time. And by his own admission, I uh, share his testimony that he hadn't been Uh, given Christ free reign to sanctify his life. He'd been justified, but uh, wasn't actively, uh, his life was not marked by sanctification until he was um, uh, diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And and in his last days, in the last uh, three or four months, his mind became very focused on the eternal. And so at that point, I shared a book with him. He told me he wasn't really a reader, but I gave him a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's really the textbook of everything that the Bible has written about heaven. And it's just a beautiful glimpse of the hope of glory. And this big, tough, rough guy that probably hadn't made, had many spiritual conversations in his life, that's all he wanted to talk about every time he saw me. He, he said, Chris, I, I think pastors are getting it wrong because if we understood this, uh, we would be more excited about heaven. Like, I'm actually looking forward to this next journey into eternity. He understood that the decaying of his body uh, was leading him not to death but to life. And so that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Are the permanent promises of God more important to you than the momentary afflictions? Here's a great question to ask ourselves. Have I become a new creation? Chapter 5, verse 17, I think is one of the most hope-filled promises, uh, if not in the entire Bible, at least in this entire letter. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul's talking about a radical new creation of the inner being. This is not just a changing of bad habits. Uh, This is new ambitions with new desires because you serve a new king. It's not just a, a polish and buff of the old self. It's a radical transformation from the inside out. The original language, this phrase, new has come, means that this newness is a continuing condition. It's a constant reality. I'm constantly being made new. It speaks to our sanctification. That means that every day I look more like Jesus than I did yesterday. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, has my life changed since I met Jesus? 
The fact that maybe you're not seeing this continuing newness may mean that you've not yet been made righteous in Christ. Paul says this is a good thing to wrestle with. It's good that the room is quiet this morning. These are tough questions to ask ourselves. The next one is just as tough. Am I an ambassador? Am I an ambassador? We see in chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so here's the question to wrestle with this morning. Are you grieved by the fact that people are lost in dying and going to hell, people around you? Are you grieved by that? Are you actively praying for lost people? Hopefully we've created a, some sort of habit that on Sunday mornings as we pray for our one, we're praying for lost people every week, but has that become a regular part of your personal prayer life? Do you pray for lost people? When was the last time that you shared the hope of Jesus Christ with a hopeless person? It's a great question to wrestle with. Here's the last one. Some of you are, thank goodness. Here's the last one, and we'll wrap up the entire series with this question. Am I eager to give sacrificially in response to Christ becoming poor for my sake? You may remember chapter 8, verse 9. We studied that verse on Palm Sunday as we prepared for the Lord's Supper. Uh, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Does the thought that Jesus gave up the riches of heaven so that you could be spiritually rich, does that drive you to live a life of generosity? Are you generous in supporting the work of the Lord? I had somebody try to argue with me uh, recently that when we talk about the, the giving, making disciples who gather, grow, give, and go, when we give, we give of our time, talent, and treasures. And somebody wanted to argue that it's time, talent, or treasures. No, it's not either or, it's all of the above. When Paul doubled down in chapter 9 and says, uh, specifically he starts talking about supporting the work of the Lord financially, that make you uncomfortable? You cry legalism anybody, anytime somebody wants to talk about giving. Have you comfortably divorced your faith from your finances? A few years ago, after hearing Pastor Brad preach on a particular message, and it was a pretty pointed message, the room was kind of quiet like it is this morning. I remember somebody walking up to him, and this person's still here. Uh, I've seen him this morning. And I remember them saying to Pastor Brad, and only half joking, like they said, Pastor Brad, you weren't preaching this morning, you were meddling. Right? Anytime somebody says to me, like, Pastor Chris, that was an incredibly convicting message. My response is usually the same. Like you've only had to listen to it for 32 minutes and 38 seconds so far where I've had to listen to it preached at me all week. These should be incredibly convicting questions. These are the types of things that should make you wince. That's what happens when we hold up the mirror of the gospel and allow it to do exploratory surgery in our lives. If you haven't winced this morning, I'll be honest with you very humbly, but very genuinely, I 
am concerned for your soul. Because that's what this test is this morning. These questions are part of a life-changing test, the most important test that you can ever take. It's a test that really exposes the true you, the secret you, not the you that you walk in here on Sunday morning with, but the real you, the you that maybe not everybody else sees. This is a test for your soul. And it's a test I hope that you've taken this morning as God's word has been opened. If I'm honest, this morning we've painted with a pretty broad brush today. There are literally hundreds of self-examining questions that we could have asked. But here's what I can say with certainty. If this morning you couldn't answer any of these questions with a settled confidence, then it means one of two things. First, it could absolutely mean that you have not been yet made righteous in Christ. That you're actually trusting in something other than Jesus for your salvation. So for some of you, maybe it's morality. For some of you, maybe it's an experience. For some of you, uh, maybe it's your accomplishments, but it's not the blood of Jesus. Or if you think you have genuinely repented and believed, then the other reason has to be that you haven't appropriated the empowering grace of Jesus that's made available to us as Christians. That means that you're trying to live out of your own strength. That's exactly what Paul's been talking about for the last three chapters. He's saying, listen, when I operate out of my own uh, strength, I am weak. But when I acknowledge that I can't do it on my own, when I acknowledge that I can't live up to the expectation, when I acknowledge that I can't just try a little bit harder, that's when God's power is manifest in my life. And so this morning, I'm asking you that question. Are you living under your own strength? And I'm here to graciously warn you today that if your life is marked by continually operating out of your own strength, season after season after season, then we want to be honest with you this morning and help you ask the question, am I in Christ? I ask you to bow your heads and we're going to take just another minute or two to wrestle with these questions, and then we're done. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. There's nothing special about that. There's nothing magical about that other than it just um, helps us not be so distracted. If you are able, I ask you to stay uh, here in your seats if you're able for the next few minutes. I just want to give you the opportunity to do business with the Lord this morning. Your spouse, your mom, your dad, nobody else is asking these questions for you. You're asking yourself these questions. Do you allow the gospel to, to cut into the dark recesses of your heart this morning? Be honest with yourself. Are you trusting this morning in something other than Jesus for your salvation? Are you trusting in your morality? That means that you're kind of a, a hope-so kind of faith that when you get to heaven, you hope that the good things that you have done stack up high enough to not be sent the other direction. Some of you are trusting in an experience. You had this emotional experience. Real tears were shed. 
But when you ask yourself the question, does my life look like Jesus? Maybe you're honest this morning and it really doesn't look any more different than anybody else. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus in the first place. When you compare yourself to the life of Jesus, you step back and say, I I am not worthy. That I do not meet the standard, God's standard for holiness. The perfect life that Jesus lived, tempted in every way and yet was without sin. You can't say that. Here's the good news of the gospel that you don't have to keep trying. That your identity, as we said to our students this morning, it's not based on anything that you can do anyway. It's based on what Jesus Christ has already done for you, his death, burial, and resurrection. Would you accept him today? Would you confess your sin? Would you confess that you have fallen short of his standard for holiness, would you say, God, with your power today, I will turn and walk in a new direction. I want to be made a new creation. God, hear the cry of our hearts today. God, I pray this morning that those that have been caught up in this mindset of trying harder of operating in their own strength. God, I pray that this series and this message and the gospel this morning once and forever will convince them that they can't do it anyway, that their efforts are futile, and that, God, that they would trust in your empowering grace to change them. God, for those that have never confessed their sins, they've never repented and believe the gospel message. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And friends, today, if that's you and you've never uh, accepted Jesus Christ, you've never asked him into your life, right there in the quietness of your seat this morning, you can pray a prayer that sounds something like this. It's in your words. There's nothing magical about these words. It's your heart that matters. It's dear Jesus, today... I confess that I have not lived up to your standards for holiness. And God, I cry out for forgiveness and I look to the completed work of Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. God, come into my life today through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me begin looking like Jesus. Change me from this moment moving forward. God, I look forward to spending the rest of my days with you, whether it's on this earth or in eternity. God, I pray for those that are not willing for one reason or another to pray that prayer this morning. I pray that you would, through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, that you would draw them to yourself today. Thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you for the hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. Pray all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.